Why do we have kids? Why do religious people have more children? Welcome to the Transformative Duck. My name is Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Today we are on page 64 of Tractic Silvis. And we learned that every new soul that you bring into this world brings the world a step closer to the messianic era. Welcome to the Transformative Duff, and thank you for being my Harissa today. I like to begin with the story. Jacob is married to Rachel and Leah and working as a shepherd for his father-in-law Laban. That, of course, was not the original plan. He had intended to marry Rachel, but unbeknownst to him, Lavan had replaced her under the chuppah with Leah. Upon finding out about, about Lavan's trickery, Jacob resolves to work however long and hard he needs in order that he can marry both sisters. Life in their new home opens idyllically, as the sisters are a model of sibling love and care. But before long, relationships start to strain as fertile Leah gives birth to one baby after another, while Rachel remains barren. Despite her selfless righteousness, the agony begins to wear on her. One day, in a moment of exasperation, she confronts Yaakov and exclaims, Bring me children, for if not, I am dead. What does Rachel mean by this poignant declaration? Let's look at today's Gemara. Rav Tavi Bar Kisna quoted Shmuel. The court writes a letter of rebellion about a betrothed woman refusing to complete the marriage, but it does not write a letter of rebellion about a widow awaiting her uncompleted leveret marriage. In which case did you establish that teaching of Shmuel? If it is a situation where she asked to marry him and he did not want to, then why phrase that the court writes a letter of rebellion about a betrothed woman? It should have stated instead... Write a letter of rebellion for a betrothed woman, meaning it is written on her behalf against her husband. This is not difficult. We can amend the text to read for a betrothed woman. But what is the difference between a betrothed woman and a widow awaiting her leveret marriage? Because we may say to her, depart, you have no obligation to procreate. But then in the case of a betrothed woman too, let us likewise say to her, depart, you have no obligation. Rather, the case where a letter of rebellion is issued concerns a woman who comes with a claim saying, I want a staff in my hand and a hoe for burial. Let's analyze the Gemara. The classic adage that you can't be half pregnant doesn't apply to marriage. Nobody gets married from one day to the next. First you get engaged, then you get married. That's not only true of modern marriage. Ancient marriages had a similar two-step process called Aresin and Nisuin. The big difference, though, is that Aresin would bind the couple to one another such that a get a bill of divorce was necessary if the relationship went awry. Our Gemara discusses a couple who is in limbo because the husband has not completed the Nisuin. The wife may demand that the court write an injunction against her husband because he is impeding her ability to have children who will support her in her old age and take care of her burial needs. Tosfa states that there are other claims that the woman may assert, such as Rachel's contention that being childless is akin to death. The commentators emphasize, however, that she must offer some sort of reason for seeking to procreate. Merely desiring to have children is not sufficient reason to compel the court to get involved in their marital impasse. The Nitziv explains that some people have children to satisfy their own pleasure, that's why Elkanah, the father of Shmuel, Samuel the prophet, responded to his barren wife, Hannah, Why are you sad? Am I not better than ten children? If it's all about the pleasure that we will derive from children, then there are other ways to have fun. Hannah subsequently dedicates her son to the service of God, thereby demonstrating that she hadn't sought a child for her own benefit. Like our matriarch Rachel, Hannah wanted a child in order to live. 
Rabbi Yaakov C. Mecklenburg explains that living means living to fulfill one's ultimate purpose in this world. In the commentary's discussion of Agamara, we encounter three approaches to procreation. Some people have children because they want children, just like they want other pleasures in life. That, say the commentators, is insufficient basis for the courts to get involved. The next level is a person who has children in order that those children can take care of him in his later years and beyond. That's a satisfactory rationale, but it's not the ideal reason to bring children into this world. The highest level is the one who gives birth in order order to populate the earth with souls and human bodies serving heaven. We want to create lives, individuals who are not here to satisfy our own pleasures, but seeking to bring, bring pleasure to the Creator. Historically, one of the main reasons that people had children was in order to be supported in their old age. Nowadays, with the advent of state support systems, that expediency has diminished. We live in a day and age when begetting children is truly optional. And so it comes as no surprise when responsible activists call for a curb on childbearing. Without a spiritual purpose, extra human beings are an unnecessary burden on a planet with so-called limited resources. If you are a believer, though, you know that the Almighty created this world for His service. He has promised to provide for all of His children for all eternity. That doesn't mean we may abuse the bountiful earth which He's endowed us with, but as long as we are respecting the planet, the resources will never run dry. And the more children that we have, the greater the glory we bring to the Creator. In fact, our sages tell us that Mashiach will not come until all the souls have been born into bodies. And so every child we bring into the world is a step closer to the Messianic era. That's a powerful thought. Some people think, well, I don't have the personal wherewithal to have more kids. Will I have enough time for each of my children? Will I have the money to send them to the right schools? Can I guarantee they'll turn out okay if I spread myself too thin? The answer to all of the above is yes. God will give the personal and financial resources that you need. But beyond that, even if they don't all end up as chips off the old block, the mere introduction of life into this world is already a fulfillment of the divine will and one step closer to Mashiach. Above all, children should never get the impression from their parents that they were brought into this world simply as accessories and indulgences for their parents' lives. Why would children feel the need to respect the people who impose life upon them just to satisfy their parents' own desires? Your children should be brought up with the knowledge that you have granted them the greatest gift, the gift of life, the ability to serve the Creator. When they receive that message, their lives will be filled with awe and respect for the two holy mortals who enabled them to fulfill their mission in the universe. May you merit begetting many healthy children physically and spiritually, wishing you a transformative day. Thank you for tuning into the Transformative Duff Podcast with Rabbi Daniel Friedman. Whether you've been doing Duff Yomi for years or you're not quite ready to commit but want to be part of the Duff Yomi global movement, there's something in the Transformative Duff for everyone. It's about joining the conversation. It's about talking over the duff with your family, your friends, your colleagues. It means never being short of a discussion starter or a meaningful Dvar Torah. Every page of the Gemara, every word, every letter contains the secrets of the universe to achieving a life of simcha and purpose. Transform your life today. The Transformative Duff is published by Mosaic Press and available at all good Jewish bookstores and online from mosaicopress.com. 
Thank you, the transformative Duff.